Peace, power, and prosperity, family. How we doing out there? It's the Bitcoin Block Bully coming to you once again with an early rise and crypto update. As of right now, we are streaming live via YouTube, recording New Money Matrix podcast for those that are going to be listening in on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, among a number of other different streaming networks. Um, I want to give everybody a grand rise and a salute. How's everybody doing? I hope your day is filled with um, joy. Um, it is going on 644 a.m. right now, Chicago time. Um, it is actually May 12th, 2020, as we begin the second quarter or uh, Q2 of the year in the crypto space. What we're going to be speaking on today are digital crypto dollars and the amount of yield that you're able to bring back from those. And once again, we're going to be using a DYDX blog article to discuss these different type of dollars. Once again, this was released April 28th, 2020, and we will be examining the world of crypto dollar yields. The article goes on to state, the ability to earn dollar yields that are multiples higher than what most investors can earn in the traditional finance system has been and will continue to be one of the largest drivers of new demand for cryptocurrencies. These yields are a function of both demand for dollars in the crypto economy, as well as the difficulty associated with getting fiat into the ecosystem. The most widely and used financial services that produce dollar yields are exchanges, centralized lenders, open finance lending protocols, automated market maker models, and crypto derivatives. Each of these venues and unique is unique. Um, they vary based on a number of different factors, including liquidity, counterparty risk, custodianship, and of course, potential returns. One aspect many of these platforms share is that they are powered by crypto dollars. Uh, let me get this out of here. There we go. Crypto dollars come in many shapes and sizes, which this post will dive into later. But the general premise is that it's a digital asset which pegs its value to the dollar. The most novel aspect about these crypto dollars is their programmability. They can be sent anywhere in the world and can be seamlessly integrated into any blockchain-based financial application. An interesting parable is to think of crypto dollars as Venmo dollars that were set free, finally able to be used within other financial applications. The most notable aspect of crypto dollar yielding opportunities up to today has invariably been how much greater they are than traditional counterparts. As an example, the United States one-year treasury note yielded 2.57% in 2019, while lending United States dollar coin on the DYDX yielded 4.86% APR over the same time frame. This premium is a function of the fact that crypto markets have historically been bullish. But even more importantly, they reflect how hard it is to actually get dollars into the ecosystem. Investors in need of dollar financing know how quickly crypto prices can move. So they have been more than willing to pay a premium to get quicker liquidity. In the early days, the only way to borrow or lend dollars within the crypto confines was through Bitfinex's margin order book. Yields fluctuated massively as it was difficult for crypto exchanges to secure banking partnerships. 
Lack of banking made it very difficult to supply, for supply, to enter the marketplace. So there wasn't much of a neutralizing force when demand suddenly increased. In order to solve their banking issues, Bitfinex created Tether in 2014. With Tether, the dollar representations could be sent within the crypto ecosystem. Investors could use it to trade against cryptocurrencies. And those without access to traditional banking could actually hold Tether to get exposure to the dollar. I'm going to stop there and I'm going to say that this is interesting for individuals that may be in a economy or a geographical location, demographic location, where their own native national fiat currency may be failing. In parts of the world such as Venezuela, Argentina, um, Zimbabwe, who at one time had a trillion dollar note, if I'm not mistaken. So you being able to gain exposure to the United States dollar without actually having to hold the physical fiat is quite a feat. It goes on to state, in 2017, the market capitalization of Tether ballooned by 1,400% as it became obvious that on-chain dollars were far more effective than having to deal with the traditional system. From then on, the era of stablecoin took hold. In terms of growth, stablecoins have been by and large the fastest growing crypto assets since the start of 2018. Right before many of them launched, over the course of roughly the last two years, the market capitalization of the highest market cap assets fell anywhere between 46% and 83%, whereas the market capitalization of all stablecoins increased by 464%. A lot of this growth can be attributed to the fact that many new lending markets were built around these stablecoins in 2018, which enabled them to be lent at a high interest rate. High interest rates create a huge incentive to convert traditional dollars into crypto dollars, as evidenced by the market capitalization growth of USDC, DAI, PAX, and GUSD, or Gemini United States Dollars, the primary stablecoins with lending markets at the time. On a macro level, interest rates conditions in the traditional system have drastically reduced the opportunities, the opportunity costs associated with holding dollars in a regular bank account. There's not much interest being lost. There's not much interest being lost by turning dollars into crypto dollars. Since the start of 2018, the 10-year Treasury yield fell from 2.40% to 0.73%. A 70% decline in savings potential. And that's just in the United States. In European countries like Germany, the UK, and France, 10-year notes yield negative 0.36%. Zero, no, excuse me, negative 0.36%, 0.30%, and 0.09% respectfully. The world has never seen this, has never been this desperate for a yield. Crypto dollar yields aren't completely immune from a low interest rate world. Following the March, the market decline on March 12th, lending rates for USDC fell over 80% on the month from 4% APR all the way down to 0.45%. Luckily, rather than react directly to central bank policy 
crypto dollar yields are primary a function of market sentiment. If crypto markets can remain uncorrelated to traditional markets, there's a good chance crypto dollar yields will continue to be much higher than anything offered in the traditional world. Apart from basic stablecoin lending, there are a number of more complex financial instruments that enable crypto dollar yields. With more complex financial instruments comes the opportunity of higher gains, but of course, with higher risk. In this post, we look at the most widely used avenues in the crypto ecosystem through which users earn dollar yields, the trade-offs, and risk associated with each venue, as well as the potential returns. So let me just check and make sure that everything's coming through clearly. Peace, power, and prosperity to everyone that is tuning in right now, listening in on the New Money Matrix podcast. Excuse me, on the um, YouTube channel. And may later listen in on the New Money Matrix podcast. Continuing on, we get into the exchanges. Speculation has been far and away the most in-demand use case for nearly the entirety of crypto's existence. And as such, exchanges have been the biggest beneficiaries of the ecosystem's explosive growth. As exchanges look for ways to expand their businesses and find revenue streams less correlated to volatility, it quickly became obvious that the winning business model was to build a vertically integrated crypto bank. They already owned the user relationship and the assets. The next step was to offer them a full suit of financial services. After all, crypto is all about new forms of money. Hence, the term that I've coined, the new money matrix. Naturally, extending users the ability to earn interest on their assets is a low lift for exchanges. Users by and large choose to hold their assets on platform and exchanges already have the demand side necessary to facilitate borrowing. The most common interest earning opportunities available on exchanges are margin funding pools, where users lend their assets to speculative traders or interest accounts, where the exchange guarantees the user a certain yield and then has the freedom to try and lend those assets out for a higher rate. The former is just like margin funding in the traditional world, and the latter is more like a security deposit or CD. Um, what we're looking at now are a couple different exchanges, what they're offering and the supported assets, and then the different yields that they offer. As we can see, Coinbase has an interest account for USDC, and they offer 1.25%. Not bad. Binance has margin funding and interest accounts for Binance United States Dollar and USDT, and they offer anywhere between 646 and 6.12% respectfully. Lending through an exchange is arguably the most simple way to earn interest on crypto dollars. Since users aren't required to do anything more than send funds to their addresses, the experience is very akin to traditional banking, something most users are familiar with. Liquidity for margin funding accounts is typically high, albeit there could be instances in which all consumers' deposits are being utilized. On the other hand, Oh, hold on. There we go. On the other hand, interest accounts usually entail a lockup for a certain period of time. In terms of counterparty risk, exchanges are large central points of failure as they have ultimately custody of user funds. Remember, they have the custody. Custodianship is a big thing in this space, which is why I tend to opt out for DeFi. And um, I'm pretty sure they'll get into that a little later. Users lending through exchanges should be cognizant 
cognizant of potential attack vectors and practice diversifying their lending activities away from one exchange, meaning don't put all your eggs in one basket. There are also new exchange models, of which DYDX is one, in which the actual exchange never takes custody of the user's funds while they're being lent, and that is key. From an overall risk perspective, exchange lending is relatively low, which leads to a lower potential return profile. However, many times the lending yields offered on exchange markets or on exchanges are much higher than any consumer savings account, making them worthy alternatives for the risk taken. Getting into institutional and retail lenders, credit markets have been one of the fastest growing parts of the cryptocurrency industry, particularly fueled by the rise of institutions and retail lenders. The, these firms aggregate capital by guaranteeing an interest rate to depositors and then lend those funds out to institutional investors or retail individuals. The largest firms include Genesis Capital, excuse me, Genesis Capital, BlockFi. Where is that Genesis Capital? They've got it separated by, um, oh, no, it's not. Okay, I thought it was separated. So Genesis Capital, Block, Genesis Capital BlockFi, and Babel Finance. The primary difference between these lending lenders is what type of investor makes up their deposit base, institutional or retail. As we can see in the example below, they do have Genesis Capital, whose deposit base is institutions, the borrower base is institutions, and their originations is $4.3 billion. We get down to BlockFi, you have institutions and retail um, on both the deposit and the borrower side. And they have about $500 million. And then we got Babel, Babel Finance, who's similar to BlockFi with their institution and retail. And they're coming in at about $380 million. The type of lending activity really took off in 2018 as institutional investors looked for more efficient ways of short-selling cryptocurrencies. In the latter two quarters of 2018 alone, Genesis Capital was able to it, it originate over $1 billion in crypto loans from, investment, from institutional investors. 2019 brought with it a bull market which spawned the advent of cash lending. These lenders saw explosive demand for crypto-backed cash loans and the ability to offer retail investors yield on their dollars. Based on the figures included in Genesis's Q4 2019 report, as well various industry reports, we estimate that over $5 billion USD have been originated by institutional and retail lenders. 40% of which is cash loans. Decentralized lenders are extremely liquid given they were designed to serve institutional capital. Most lending agreements are open term, meaning the borrower and lender have some flexibility on capital lockups. Returns are generally higher than lending through an exchange and custom terms can be negotiated for dollar, large dollar sizes. The main downside is counterparty risk and custody of funds. In these arguments, the lending firm takes full custody of lent funds and then transfers ownership to the borrower. In the case of a default, the lender is trusting the lending firm to cover losses. Next, let's get into the lending protocols. Lending protocols are a completely new, excuse me, net new financial innovation, uniquely enabled by crypto rails. These platforms allow users to borrow and lend money directly from a smart contract without having to give up custody of their funds to a centralized third party 
a stark contrast to today's most dominant centralized models. Now, this is the thing. This is a peer to contract type of relationship you have when you're dealing with this decentralized finance space, i.e. lending protocols. So it's not peer to peer, it's peer to contract, P to C. Whereas you are able to hold custody of your funds, meaning that you have 100 percent responsibility over those funds as well. Um, One of the main things you have to stay up on as this is a ever is an ever evolving market is you have to stay ahead of the developments and the changes that may come to the platforms that you're using. You may open yourself up for significant loss due to ignoring the comings and goings of some of these platforms, such as upgrades. So always stay up on top of whatever platforms you're using. Continuing on, it says the key to these protocols is that they're built on top of virtual machines that autonomously handle all parts of the loan administration process. From origination to liquidation, a centralized entity doesn't need to be involved. The most widely used lending protocols are MakerDAO, Compound, and DYDX. Maker is unique in that interest rates are ultimately set by MKR holders via the network's governance process, whereas rates in Compound and DYDX are set in real time by the market. Similarly, Maker's die savings rate can never be higher than its ability fee, whereas Compound and DYDX often offer rates higher than its ability fee because the protocol can be more quickly adjusted to speculative demand. And below we have um, different protocols, DYDX, MakerDAO, and the compound, uh, compound finance money market. Um, the interest rate method on DYDX and compound are market with maker is governance. Um, DYDX has $1.2 billion in original in originations. Um, maker has $600 million and compound $316 million. DeFi lending protocols are still relatively new, so it's naturally going to take some time until they're as liquid as their centralized counterparts. Two big factors that will help these protocols increase liquidity are security best practices and time. The former will help expose and innovate on weaknesses inherent to these protocols, which is the uh, practice, and the latter will help reinforce the safety of those protocols, assuming they remain secure, which is the time. An area where lending protocols excel is custody, since users are always in control of their funds. There is less risk of a theft relative to a centralized exchange. Returns vary based on where the capital is being lent, and lending on more speculative venues that enable more leverage, like DYDX, offer higher returns because more notional value can be borrowed. Automated money market models, or AMM systems, enable anyone to play the role of market maker by allowing them to pull two-sided liquidity that traders can tap into. In exchange for the liquidity, suppliers earn a yield. Within crypto specifically, AMMs have been used as a solution to the liquidity issue faced by decentralized exchanges that employ basic maker-taker systems. AMAs, excuse me, AMMs make it much easier to bootstrap markets since anyone in the world can act like a market maker. Two notable AMM projects opening up dollar yields to investors are Uniswap 
and balancer. Uniswap was the first AMM system to gain real traction, which it did by opening up liquidity for DeFi assets that are not that were not widely supported on centralized exchanges like MKR, Maker, and SNX, Synthetics Network Token. Balancer extended the Uniswap concept further by enabling pools with more than two assets. In both of these models, liquidity providers earned yield by collecting trading fees generated by each pool. Like DeFi lending protocols, AMMs are still extremely new, so liquidity isn't strong. For context, the ETH to die and ETH to USDC Uniswap pool only have 6.7 million and 4.9 million in liquidity respectfully counterparty risk is low from a self-custody perspective but high from an experimental technology perspective and you got to understand for those that are in this space right now you are the pioneers aka guinea pigs of this space you got to eat that up coming into this you know what i'm saying understand that these things have not been battle tested over an amount of 10 20 years we are the first ones to touch a, a number of these different protocols which has its pros and it has it and it has its cons, you know. Um, continuing on, it goes on to state that many times, no, excuse me, returns offered by AMM models are different from basic as- asset lending. Many times, supplying liquidity to these pools in search of a yield is akin to a short volatility position, so investors can actually lose money during times of turbulence. There are also instances in which growth in the size of the pool mitigates the effect the volatility has on potential returns. Overall, returns provided by AMM models are higher but riskier. For a deeper overview, they do have another link um, which I may follow and I may read, uh, read over at a later date. Now let's get into derivatives. When most people think of cryptocurrency derivatives, they think of purely speculative use cases, when in fact, Cryptocurrency derivatives offer clever solutions for earning dollar yields. An important aspect of these derivatives is the fact that they're managed and settled in the base currency. So in the case of crypto BTC and ETH, both quoted against USD, this means that short positions effectively lock in the dollar value of the notional notional position because even if the price increases, the value of the collateral back in the position also goes up. Not only do these short positions act as synthetic dollars, they can also earn a yield if the market pays a premium to hold these derivative contracts. If users are short through a perpetual swap, they are paid interest every funding window. If they are short through a traditional futures contract, they collect the annualized forward premium over the duration they have the position open. Interest earned is very much correlated with how bullish the market is. In 2017, there were many times in which BitMEX's XBT, XBT USD contract was paying over 1% interest per day. More recently, this number has come down, likely in part because of most traders entering synthetic USD positions. In the last year, XBT USD paid out over 8% in synthetic dollar interest. 8%. It's not bad. Synthetic dollars are created through futures contracts, with perpetual swaps being the most liquid way of doing so. Futures are by far the most liquid way to get exposure to crypto. They facilitate billions in trading volume, 
trading volume daily. Compared to other lending options, synthetic dollars are very liquid. However, a big downside is that synthetic dollars can't leave the exchange. The positions have to be held until expiry. This means that users still bear a lot of crypto uh, counterparty risk. Excuse me. Centralized exchanges are much more susceptible to hacks and thefts. Luckily for synthetic dollar holders, the added risk does come with a higher reward. During times of high contango, yields often spike above 20% APR. And I bear witness to this myself. In conclusion, one of the most powerful use cases enabled by cryptocurrencies today is the ability to earn dollar-denominated yield. Already, the crypto financial system, excuse me, services ecosystem has birthed a variety of dollar yield sources, including centralized exchanges, institutional and retail lenders, decentralized lending protocols, automated market makers and synthetic dollars through derivatives exchanges. With all of these options, users have optionality across a number of features like liquidity, custody, risk and potential return. As you can see, there are clear trade-offs for investors chasing the highest potential returns. Lower liquidity is the main trade-off for decentralized finance platforms and counterparty risk is the main trade-off for derivatives. Crypto dollar yields will continue to pull people away from traditional world. As these offerings mature, so will the ability to onboard more capital into the crypto world. Um... At DYDX, they're excited about the future of dollar of crypto dollar yields and the role that they play in providing non-custodial liquid on-ramps to dollar yields. Similarly, they provide themselves on pride themselves on being the only venue that allows users to both lend their crypto dollars to a decentralized protocol as well as access synthetic synthetic dollars through their perpetual markets. So as a introduction i guess you can say to crypto dollar yields for those that may have been listening in for the first time i do hope that this article as well as any added commentary that i did add was helpful to the viewer um what we're going to do now is end the podcast series and leave it open on youtube for any type of questions um, for those that will be tuning in on the New Money Matrix podcast, I want to thank you for coming in, tuning in, and listening in. I hope, once again, that the information was helpful to you. Until the next podcast, peace, power, and prosperity. Family, I'm out of here.